Hello and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and I'm here. You know what? Here's what happened. So last week I did a review of this wonderful new age music that really kind of set my career off in um, in, a, in a path that I, I might have found otherwise, but this that's the way I came across it. But it kind of made me feel a little bit nostalgic and, you know, no pun intended because one of the songs was called Nostalgia. But it got me thinking about some other things that have had uh, an impact on me that, you know, brought me joy and took up some of my time in my life. Doesn't really as much to this day, but one thing, especially as a child, was video games. I grew up in the age where Atari was a thing in television, ColecoVision, all those sorts of things were coming out onto the market, home computing was getting to be something and you could get cartridges with video games on them for your computer or sometimes you could get them on cassette like I did with Scott Adams Adventures where he had that one cartridge that you would load and then you would load the games off of a cassette uh, into the computer, which still, I can still hear those sounds. Um, But anyway, you could also save your game there, which was nice because with Atari and television, ColecoVision, you couldn't save your game. So you had to play until you were done playing. And that was the end of that. In fact, that was the very reason I cannot play Pitfall to this day because I had it all mapped out. I don't remember who it was, but somebody had had kind of walked me through where you go in what order to get all of the treasures and actually finish the game Pitfall. It was one of the only games at the time that actually had a finite ending. Most games just went on until you ran out of lives. But this one did, and I was only a couple of screens away from the end. I remember my dad came home from work. My dog always got really excited, you know, when he heard the car pull up and he would start jumping around. And he jumped and knocked the power cord out of the wall for the Atari. That was the end of that. Two screens away from the end of Pitfall. And to this day, I cannot, I just can't do it. And I don't have the map anymore anyway, so it would be fairly pointless. But uh, I loved Pitfall 2, though. Um, the The game was very confusing. There was so many places to go and ways to get there and everything, but the music was fantastic. I, I absolutely love that. You can actually listen to that on YouTube. Um, but in any case, the uh, the video game craze was huge. Arcades were becoming a much bigger thing. For a long time, they were pinball games, games that were made of metal and wood, and like you'd have to, you know, try and use the the little air compressor to get the ball in the in the pocket or you know uh games with with water where you had to uh you know fill up a, a balloon and whoever's balloon was the first to pop won a prize those were more like carnival type games um there were ones where you would like roll a ball and whatever hole it landed in you know you got x amount of points for and then you'd roll another i'm not talking about ski ball there was like an actual uh like like a flat game and it just had a bunch of round holes in it and you would just you know roll a rubber ball so it would bounce around um, ski ball was, was pretty cool. Um, but then the video games started and they started off with, uh, I don't know if they were the first ones were vector graphic or not, but I know that that became the big thing for a long time. And that was a, a whole different feel. In fact, there were games that didn't really have, um, like a screen behind them. It was like a, uh, a little color page that would be behind them. Like I remember there was one um, where you were a knight fighting another knight, but basically what you were was a sword. All you could really see was the sword. And it was just like three lines and you would walk around, but there were these two big holes, you know, these, these pits that you could fall into 
that were in the middle of the screen. And so as you're trying to avoid and, and parry and whatever with your opponent, whether it was computer or you could actually play two players, um, if you fell into the hole, there would be like a graphic that showed you swirling down the hole. But there was no actual hole in the game. It was actually like a piece of cardboard that was uh, underneath that was painted very nicely and uh, very realistic. But um, yeah, those were like the first video games. And I'm thinking games like Star Castle, which were very simple. Asteroids came a little bit later, but it was kind of along the same lines. It was all just like lines, like they weren't even filled in with color or anything. It was just lines. And Space Invaders, um, the original one, I think was black and white or had like a green cover over it. I can't remember now, but they were all very simple, you know. And uh, there was like uh, Clowns, I think, was one that, that became Circus Atari on the Atari release of it. But going to the arcade was like such a huge deal because video games were were things that were like, you know, you you dreamed about them, you talked about them, you couldn't wait to go, but you almost never got to go. So when you did get to go, it was like a really big deal. And we had three that I remember. There was one that was kind of far away off of a street called Van Dyke, um, which is getting out towards where Eminem grew up, pretty close to that. Um, and there was an arcade there. And that one was pretty cool. That's the one that we would just like dream of going to because at the time it was the only one. And I remember I was so happy when Asteroids came out because we got out of school early. We went to go to the arcade. My parents took us. And we were excited because Asteroids had just come out that day, but we we knew we weren't going to get anywhere near Asteroids. We might get a look at it, and that was probably about the best we were going to get. But what was exciting about it was that we could finally play Space Invaders, because when a new game came out, it was pretty rare. And so like people would just hoard around it and watch everybody play, and everybody would put their quarters up and get their turn and whatever. But um, when the second new game came out, the last new game would just be like completely abandoned because everybody wanted to check out the new one. So we finally got to play Space Invaders, like Night Driver was pretty cool. That was at the arcade before uh, Atari's version of it came out some years later. Um, that was kind of the beginning of it. And then they opened one, not like pretty much within walking distance of us, called uh, Space Shuttle. And Space Shuttle was amazing because they had all the new games. And this was at the time, in like 81 or so, where games were just coming out like every five minutes. And um, they just could not make them fast enough to please the arcade goers. And the most amazing thing about these places was if you've if you've ever been to a roller rink, you walk into a roller rink and it has a certain atmosphere. And nowadays they've got like video games and stuff, but you would hear like music and the lights would be dim and the, the lights on the skating rink would be like all different colors. And it was a real special atmosphere that was really defined to roller rinks. Video game places, you know, these arcades, they had the same specific way about them. You would walk in and the first thing is it's it almost feels like it's dark, but it's really not. But it's like a lot of ultraviolet lights, reflections of the video game screens. So you're seeing flashes and stuff all over the place. But what really got you was just the mishmash of audio that would take over your senses when you walked in. So you're like you're completely disoriented for the first couple minutes. And all you can do is is walk around, see what all the games are that they have at that moment, and then figure out like what you want to play. And then as soon as you do and you go to that game, there's already like three people in line to play it. So you're like, okay, well, what was my second choice? And then you change your mind like five times. And then you go to that game and you just keep doing that until you can actually get on a game. Now, once you did, it was like total magic, right? 
And these games, everything back then was a quarter. That's it. Very few games. I don't know if any, like in 81, I don't think any of them had it in 81, except for, I guess, whenever Dragon's Lair came came out, might have been the first one. But there were no continues in the beginning. Um, It was, you put your quarter in, you played your lives, that was it. And then you put another quarter in and you started over. Then they started with the, you know, you can continue on if you put another quarter in. And I think there there might have been some games. I take that back. There might have been some games in the beginning that had that. I think Pot of Gold did. And Pot of Gold is like the most random, like no one will even know what I'm talking about. But if you go on YouTube and you look for Pot of Gold, um, it was a really interesting video game. But anyway, the the first or the next big game after Asteroids that I remember was Pac-Man. And Pac-Man it was it was all colorful. It had ghosts that chase you, but you could grab this power pill and you could go eat the ghosts and they would like, you know, free you up from being harmed for a while. So you could go for the ghosts to get points or you could use that time to clear out some more dots on the screen. And the whole goal, of course, is to get rid of all the dots and, and energizers on the screen without dying or dying as few times as possible. And then every so many, you would get this little movie that would play to kind of give your wrist a break, which was a really good idea. Because people got to the point where they played these games for hours and hours on end. The competitions just got crazy. And, um, you know, to have these little intermissions where you could rest your wrist, maybe massage the the joints and the muscles a little bit during that time was was a really good thing. Um, but yeah, it was such a fun time. Now, I don't know if I if I'm absolutely right on this, but it seems to me like in the arcade version, you started out with three guys. And at like either 10 or 20,000, you got one more guy and that was it. Like you didn't keep building guys as you went along. Like you literally only had the four. And so you just had to get as far as you could with those four. But then people started figuring out patterns and then they started publishing them in books. And you could buy a book that would say, you know, here's how you get past the first screen, which is I think the cherries and the second one is strawberries and on. You know, and then once you pass the ninth key, like, I think that's it. I think everything just kind of repeats after that, just gets somewhat faster. But there's like a limit to how far it went. And then there was some some story about, I think you could only go to 256 screens. And then the game just like stopped. Not because it was over, but because of some glitch in the the programming or memory capacity or something. I don't know if any of that's true, but those are rumors that went around at the time. But anyway, during this craze... These two guys got together and wrote an album inspired by these songs. And it was really brilliant because the craze was so hot at the time. People just wanted more and more and more material, more things they could get their hands on, anything related to video games, stickers, puffy stickers, books, um, you know, strategy guides, cartoons. Pac-Man had so many things that came out. I mean, you had your little, you know, action figures, your little rubber like Smurf type figures of the ghosts and Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man. I think there was a baby Pac-Man one because he was in one of the intermissions. And then, you know, they started having things like board games and cereals and, you know, like if it could be made out of a Pac-Man shape or related to Pac-Man, it was on the market. The, the, The flood was just insane. It got to the point where it was like, oh my God, do we have to have anything more Pac-Man? But it was still selling. So people kept putting it out. And one of the great things that came out of this was this wonderful album called Pac-Man Fever by two guys named Buckner and Garcia, who interestingly did their own version of the WKRP theme song and actually released that. I haven't heard it, 
So I'm going to have to go check that out. But this album, uh, just it just took the world by storm because the, the first single that came out before the album was Pac-Man Fever. And of course, we had the 45. On the backside, it had an instrumental version. So you could sing a version of it yourself, which was really cool. And that was something that was done quite a bit back then, actually, not by, you know, major artists, but you know, sometimes the artists would have like the song and then a live version on the back or, um, you know, the, the cut down radio edit on the front and then another song that wasn't on the album on the back. We see, I see that a lot when we're talking on the, uh, the Uriah Heap, the magicians podcast that I do, um, where there's like a B side that's a single that wasn't on the album. It's marketing genius, but I believe it came out on Atlantic records. I want to say, or maybe it was CBS, um, I can't remember, but I'm pretty sure it was like an orange logo on the 45. And then uh, the second one to come out was do the Donkey Kong. And I remember that my brother got that for me for Christmas. And um, we always said, like, we're not going to tell each other what we got each other for Christmas. But then we'd be like, Christmas would be so far away. And we'd be like, all right, I'll tell you, I'll show you one gift that I got you. And so we wouldn't wrap them until like two days before Christmas Eve and because we would like go into each other's rooms and just play with the gifts and then be like, oh my God, look what you got me. Wow, I'm so amazed and happy. But <laughs> but it was fun. And um, so he got me to do the Donkey Kong and uh, I think a, a strategy, like a, a strategy guide book for some games too. And, so, and, and the games that I really wanted to play that were in that book were ones that they didn't have at Space Shuttle. And then eventually they, they opened another one down the street, not too far from us called Galaxy. And then one, like another one way down the street that, that opened up that we went to a couple times. And by then, like video games were pretty commonplace and it, it just became like a normal night out. But for a while, it was like such a treat to go, you know, and then when games like Gauntlet came out, it got kind of frustrating because you really wanted to get somewhere, but they were just, they were just designed to suck money out of your pocket. You know, you're, you, even if there's four of you together, you're not getting that far in Gauntlet without spending a good you know, $25, $30, which at the time for us, that would have been a lot of money to just blow on video games. So, you know, never got that far on Gauntlet, but Pac-Man was, was like, that was all the rage at the time. So, uh, this first song that came out was Pac-Man Fever. And I got to tell you, there are, this is like a really good, solid 80s sounding album. You know, it's very synthy, very commercial. Every song, you know, is, is one that could be played on the radio. But uh, even though I don't know like anybody that was on this album, you got some really good players. And uh, over the time, you know, the lineup changed. But in 81, when the album came out, there was uh, Jerry Buckner who played the uh, the string patch on a Korg. He also did some background vocals and keys on the album. Um, Gary Garcia, who unfortunately passed away in 2011, he was the lead vocalist and guitarist. Uh, Ginny Whitaker was the drummer. But... On the song Pac-Man Fever, they decided that the drum, the snare drum sounded just a little bit too light. So they brought in David Cozy Cole to play the syndrome, just doubling the snare on Pac-Man Fever. And that was it. That's all he did. But I will say that the, the sound of the snare is really interesting. So it's a real snare overlaid with a synth snare. And it does sound pretty powerful. It, it in, You know, there's some claps going on over that, too. I don't know where David got his name Cozy, if he was a fan of Cozy Powell or if that was just his nickname. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Larry McDonald on bass, Chris Bowman on guitar. And then uh, down the line, you would have Rich Hinkle joining on guitar. Steve Carlisle doing some backing vocals on Pac-Man Fever. Mike Stewart, who also played the Moog on Mousetrap and Going Berserk. 
So uh, that's basically the lineup of the of the album. And then, like I said, you know, the the band kind of changed as they went on to perform and do some stuff. Um, there was there, there's two versions of the album available, and I would actually suggest if you're interested in more of like the history of it, get the second version of it. So uh, they're both available on uh, on Amazon and iTunes. The uh, the first album is just you know straight the eight songs that are on there. But the other version is double. It's 16 songs. It is, uh, I think there's actually 18 pieces on there because there's a couple, there's like an intro interview and an outro interview. And the, uh, so they'll play the song and then they'll play the song again with commentary from, um, from Gary Garcia. I'm sorry, from Jerry Buckner. And then there's an interview at the end, uh, an older interview, obviously with, uh, with Gary Garcia. And um, it's really cool stuff. I, I haven't heard of all of it, but there's some really insightful things on there, uh, which is very cool. So if you're a fan of the album, want, want a little more than what you've had all these years, then uh, check out that uh, deluxe edition. And um, we're going to get into the songs, though, because, you know, that's how an album review podcast works is to review the album. So here is uh, a little chunk of Pac-Man Fever. And the theme that they went with on this album was that every song started with a little, you know, sample of the game. So you could uh, recognize it, know what the song was about, because they had like a lot of games had intros to them. Like they would play a little bit of music while the graphics were kind of showing you what was going on. Or they would, um, you know, play a little bit of the game playing live um, so that you could kind of see like I remember... um, I think it was Galaga would play Galaga, you know, while no one was playing the game to kind of go, hey, this game's really cool. Check it out. Put your quarter in. Give me a spin. If you're just reading about what I am, then you're not going to be as interested as you would be if you actually watch the game play. You watch the game play. You're like, oh, I can do that. And then you get in it and you're like, ah, crap. This game is a lot harder than they made it look. Um, so there were very cool things. And then one of my favorite games that I only played, I think, I think once or twice in my life because we couldn't find it. Um, I think we found it in Canada at a motel we were staying at. And then like one other time when we were away on vacation, but it was called Stratavox. And it was kind of similar to Defender. Um, it had, it was kind of like a combination of, of like Galaga and Defender. And you had like guys and, and then you had humans that you were trying to save, but in Defender, like they're just sticks you know, like you have no connection to these, these things. You're, you're told that's the thing. Like you got to try and save as many of these as you can. If you lose all 10 of them, then you're going to go into the mutant world where it's like super hard. And if you survive that, then you'll go back to um, playing the game. But Stratavox actually went one step further and they made the characters look a little more human, but the biggest sell of it was that they would beg you to save them. Like you're just playing and you hear, help me you're like, oh man, one of my guys is being captured. I got to go save him. Like in Defender, you don't even really get an indication. I think there was like a little sound or something that that played that was kind of barely noticeable, but in, uh, or maybe that was Stargate, but in, uh, in Stratavox, it was like, you actually heard a cry for help. And it was kind of like, they didn't care. They're like, help me. Like if you can, if you want, but if not, I'm going with these guys <laughs> into the alien world. But it it gave you like a sense of purpose and you felt like a, a more of a connection to these uh, digital humans because they're interacting with you. They're crying out for help and you're the one that's going to save them. So um, that was pretty cool. But what was really weird is if you're not playing the game, 
you know, the game's showing what it does on screen. But every once in a while, and it made no sound when no one was playing it, but every once in a while, you would just hear, help me. And you'd be like, who's in trouble? And you got to, you know, and you're like, oh, it's, yeah, that's right. It's the game. But it, it didn't play the sounds of the game. Like literally, it would just be dead quiet and you would just hear, help me, like right out of nowhere. So it was it was a little more engaging because they made it, you know, a little more human, which was a great idea, unlike making M&Ms human, because now, you know, they're harder to eat when you think they might be alive. I'll just let that soak in. So here is a little bit of Pac-Man fever. So yeah, totally 80s music, right? The the synths, the drums, everything just sounds so perfection and, and 80s. It's uh it's really just takes me back to that time. And you know, just thinking about, yeah, you would take, you know, a five dollar bill or whatever, and you'd go over to the change machine and you wouldn't get tokens, you wouldn't get little tokens, you'd get full-on quarters that you had to drag around in your pocket from one game to another. And uh, you know, then some of the places I think like Chuck E. Cheese did um tokens like you got a smaller light coin that you would put into the games and then um then some places started getting really smart and you would just get like this little you know paper thin plastic card and you would uh, put your money in and it would load the money onto the card and then you just go insert the card into the game so you didn't have to carry a bunch of money around with you um then there's places that do like an all play where you just pay a certain amount to be in the room for X amount of time and the games don't take coins at all. You just hit start because you've paid for them outside or up front or whatever. And those are my favorite because, you know, I don't have to drag around change, be like, I want to continue my game, but I don't have another quarter and I have to run to the change machine. And when I do that 10 second time limit's going to run out and I'm going to have to start all over. So I can't even continue the game. Um, that happened more than once. I'm sad to say, but it was a great time and uh, songs like this, like I don't remember them actually playing this in the arcade, but I remember just hearing it on the radio constantly. And um, it was such a great song. It just made you want to play. As soon as you hear those first few notes, you're picturing Pac-Man loading up. You've, you've already got your hand on the joystick in your mind and you're just going to go your four directions, start eating dots and trying to avoid the ghost. A lot of fun, great game uh, led to the, uh, the, feminist version miss ms pac-man because that kind of uh thing was was uh, a topic of the day whether you call me whether you call them miss or ms depended on whether they were married or not and how are you supposed to know uh or mrs was married ms was like independent and miss was not married i don't remember it was a long time ago and it, those things just don't really seem to play into today's society or maybe i'm just not out in society enough to know better. But in any case, that was a, a big movement. 
And so they came out with Ms. Pac-Man to kind of counterbalance Pac-Man. And that game was was cool because Pac-Man is basically one maze. And the difference is how long the, the energizers last, what fruit you're trying to collect and what the value is, you know. Um, but the game, the game itself, like the board doesn't change, um, but the ghost movements do. So that's why they had different patterns depending on what fruit level you were at, because the ghosts move differently. Uh, sometimes the energizers are literally like one second or less. And so they're almost pointless to eat, but you have to, to clear the board, but they're not going to help buy you time to get away from a ghost or to, to clear out an area. So, um, Ms. Pac-Man comes along and the boards change every time the fruit changes, which is like, you know, two, three or four boards. And there's like some really precarious places where you could just easily get caught. So you kind of want to save your energizers to get down into that area or kind of loop the ghosts all into one corner, go down to those other areas and, and clear those out where you have a good chance of getting out safe. The strategies become completely different and the, the memorization becomes completely different because the screens are different. And uh, it was it's a really fun game. So that was another one to check out. Then they did like this baby Pac-Man pinball machine video game combination. And there was another one called Super Pac-Man where you could be like a giant Pac-Man. Uh, it, there was a whole bunch of things that came out. Um, not too far from where I live now actually is, uh, here in Vegas at the MGM Grand, where they have some sort of weird gaming bar thing that has like four games and some foosball and pizza. I don't know. It's really weird, but they have the world's, well, what they label as the world's biggest Pac-Man game. And I don't know if that's true because it seems to me I've seen the same machine over at Bally's. But uh, maybe that's just that they're the the biggest one that's made is is in multiple places. But uh, it's got a giant screen. I don't know. Like I never liked people hovering around watching me play, unless it was someone I was there playing with. But like you know, if just like random people came and watched you play, that always got on my nerves. So I don't really think I'll ever go play the giant Pac Man screen just because that that would probably bug me. And it's it really is like right out there in the open as soon as you walk in the casino from the Las Vegas Boulevard entrance. Um, but yeah, so Pac-Man was a, was just a huge thing. And of course, by then, you know, other games are starting to come out and I don't know the order or what year any of these came out, but the next song on the album is called Froggy's Lament, which was based around the game Frogger. Now, Frogger was a game where you had to get across a street and then you had a semi-safe strip and then you had to cross a precarious river to get into one of five little uh, notches at the top of the screen, which was like your, your, your bog, your home. And so in the first half, you got to deal with traffic. And I don't know how the proportion of this frog to the size of the traffic. Well, I don't even know how the size of the traffic in proportion to the size of the traffic really worked because like a semi was as big as a sports car. So it was kind of a weird world just in light of that. And then you had to get your frog, which was basically also the almost the size of a sports car across like five or six lanes of traffic, whatever it was. I think it increases actually over time. If I remember right, I could be wrong. It's been so long since I played that game. But then you get to like this, this center strip, which for the most part is safe. And then sometimes there's like creatures that roam in there, depending on what version of the game, like there's a snake that'll come through and you either got to jump back into the street or jump on a log to avoid the snake. Um, and then you got to get across these logs and lily pads to get to your little, your little frog cave. And it's a lot of fun. It's very challenging, especially as it gets faster. 
you really have a lot of hand-eye coordination uh, playing this game uh, put to use because it really, and dexterity, it really takes a lot of dexterity and timing. Um, and it also takes a little bit of patience and strength. Like sometimes you need to take a step forward, but then to get past that, you need to take a step back to go two steps forward. And you really just have to be calm and patient. And if you will be those things, you'll probably stand a fairly good chance of getting your frog in the cave. It's when you start panicking or you feel like, oh my God, the, the clock's running down because you only have so much time. Um, and, and then you'll lose a guy or you lose a frog. So uh, the game definitely had its challenges, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, a huge favorite in the arcades to this day. Uh, I know there's another version of it that came out that was like a 3D, kind of a through the eyes of the frog version. Um, I never played it, but it sounded interesting. But in any case, here is some of Froggy's Lament, which is actually my favorite song in the album. I do not and probably will not ever know what they mean when they're talking about Froggy's magic twanger. I'm not sure I want to know or how it relates to the game or anything in life at all, but they, they put it in the song. So uh, they must have meant something by it. But yeah, it's a cool song. It's got a great groove. I love that. Just dun, 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 dun. And I think the voice on this is great. I don't know if they were going for... Wasn't there a character on The Little Rascals named Froggy that had a really deep voice like that? Um, the original show? I want to say there was. If not, it was one of those shows around that time, but I think it was The Little Rascals. And so I don't know if they were going for something like that or just that, you know, frog deep croak voice idea thing uh, that would have caused that character be to be named Froggy. But in any case, it's a fun song. It's just got a great beat to it. Love those little synth parts that they put in there. Almost kind of reminds me of a Save by the Bell uh, skit that they would have used in between the shots of Jack Morris screwing over his friends. And um, yeah, it's just a fun song. And then it's just such a happy little chorus. You know, I feel like this album is a musical representation of watching Bob Ross paint a picture. Everything's just happy, happy little trees, happy little frog, you know, and you're just waiting them for them to go, let's just put in a, a little water wheel over here. And you're like, no. You're going to ruin it. Never ruined it. Never once ruined it. Just amazing. But anyway, uh, you know, I, and I might have been listening to this album while I, wa while I watched Bob Ross on a, on a Sunday morning. But uh, yeah, so Froggy's Lament, very cool song and a very cool game. Now, another huge arcade favorite that just really took off, and it's one that people to this day still talk about is the game Centipede. And Centipede was one of the first ones to come out with a trackball instead of a joystick because you got to move all around the screen and you have to get there as quickly as possible. So a joystick is only going to move your, your, you know, whatever your character is so fast. So to really be able to be good at it and 
probably actually missed the mark where you're trying to shoot and go all the way to the edge of the screen until you got used to how to work a trackball was Centipede. I don't know if it was the very first or not. I'll be honest. But if it wasn't, it was certainly one of the first. But I want to say the trackball was created for Centipede. In any case, so you have this ball and uh, you're moving around the screen. You have a fire button. There's a centipede that's going across the screen. Very much like Space Invaders, only it descends every line constantly. So the screen's really big. You've got a lot of lines from the top to the bottom. But that centipede is just moving down the screen at a pretty good pace, even from the, the beginning. So here's the catch, though. If there are mushrooms in his path, he will touch the mushroom and then go down to the next line instead of going all the way to the end of the screen. So you don't want that many mushrooms on the screen. Otherwise, he'll come down really fast. And in some of them, he just comes right down to the bottom and stays in this really small field where you're allowed to move around. And you have to get them. But every time you hit one of the pieces of the centipede, it breaks off another segment. So if you hit the end, you're fine. It's just it just gets shorter. And the whole goal is to clear the centipede off the screen. But if you hit it in the middle, now it breaks in half and now you have two centipedes. Right. So you're you're down a piece because you you shot one and good for you. But now you have two centipedes running around and uh, and they're both coming down the screen now. Then, though, if you clear too many mushrooms out. Well, then you've got these fleas, I think they are, that that come and drop streams of mushrooms on the screen to get in your way. And because they drop them straight down, the centipede can get caught on the side of the screen between that you know pile of, of mushrooms and the edge of the screen and come down much faster because it doesn't have the entire screen to go across first. So it's a really fun game. And then there's a spider that's really annoying, but it plays like this really cool little computer sounding ditty while the spider's on the bottom of your screens and then the fleas are coming down and dropping more mushrooms. It's just a crazy game and it gets faster and faster. Then there, I can't remember what it was that, what it is that poisons the mushrooms, but there's something that'll poison the mushrooms. And if the centipede touches a poison mushroom, it just comes straight down the screen. Uh, That can be an advantage if it's going slow enough, you can get under it and just hold down that fire button. Then you can actually take the entire centipede out. But if it's coming down too fast, uh, if a spider jumps out, um, then, you know, you're kind of screwed because now it's going to be in that little bit of room that you can run around in. Fantastic game, right? But that wasn't enough because people got good at that and, you know, people were doing really good tournaments and they loved it. So they came out with Millipede. Millipede was was centipede on steroids. There were so many more things to shoot. There were little canisters that you could you know, if if you uh, hit the canister right when the centipede was there or the millipede was there, it would like poison the millipede. Like there were, it, it would take out bugs, it, like all kinds of things. I think there were DDT canisters. Um, but just all these added things that they put in the game. It was really, really a cool idea. Uh, both versions were adapted. I know they were on Atari. I don't know if either one of them made it to Intellivision or ColecoVision, uh, but both centipede and, and millipede were on Atari. And uh, loads of fun to play at home, but way better at the arcades because the graphics were just so much uh, so far superior. But they were pretty good ports for the uh, for the home versions of the game, I will say. So here is a little bit of Ode to Centipede. And it fights and comes after you from every side. 
faster and faster, row by row. He slides to the rocks to get you from below. Oh, Santa Pete, you can't run away. You can't run away. Yeah, this song is just full of taunts. And <laughs> kind of creepy in a way, but it's uh, it's a fun song. It's got a lot of great sounds from the game, uh, a, a nice solid beat, kind of a you know an inspirational chorus. I really like the feel of it with the synths behind the vocal. Uh, really good solid song. So it's it's one that I enjoy about a game that I really enjoyed. And uh, you know I don't play very often anymore, but uh, if it's around, I wouldn't be opposed to it. You know, sitting down, put a quarter or two in it. But it does get uh, it does get pretty damn hard, I will say, and it doesn't take all that long to get there, at least for uh, for me and my nimble fingers. So um, next up, and the last one I'm going to do on today's episode is do the Donkey Kong. Now Donkey Kong, I love Donkey Kong. Frank Caliendo, who's a comedian in Arizona, he was on Mad TV. He's an incredible impressionist. Uh, off the cuff, did a description of Donkey Kong but as Al Pacino. And it's absolutely hilarious. And it led to him uh, discussing Pac-Man as John Madden and then a bunch of other games as Al Pacino. A lot of fun. Uh, If you go to YouTube and look up video games Al Pacino, you are likely to hear it. Now, it is slightly edited down away from the stuff that wasn't uh, talking about the video games because there was a little bit of uh, extra banter in there. You can find that on Frank's album. But uh, they uh, they chopped it down for the YouTube version just because it it was kind of out of context of what they were trying to display. Absolutely hilarious. He talks about a few different video games. It became a running bit of his, but it's just absolutely fantastic. And um, one of his best, I think he was a he, he always did such a fantastic Al Pacino impression. In the beginning, it was a little bit rough, but once he found it, he just found it. And he made Al Pacino, who's already an incredibly interesting guy, so much more interesting. Um, I never heard Pacino's thoughts on it, though. I I watched on, I think it was Leno or one of those talk shows where uh, he was, Al Pacino was on the talk show and Kevin Spacey came out and did an impersonation of Pacino right in front of him. And of course, you know, e- even if you hate it, what are you going to do? You're going to be a jerk? No, you're going to smile. You're going to hug the guy. You know, they were friends. They worked together on Glengarry Glen Ross. Um, but yeah, I don't know what, uh, Pacino ever thought of. I know some of the other people that, uh, Frank Caliendo impersonated were not very enthused like Jim Rome and John Madden, like the sports guys, you know, didn't really have much of a sense of humor about it. I guess, uh, at some point Madden came around and he was cool with it. But, um, in any case, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about Donkey Kong, but go check that out on YouTube. Al Pacino video games, look it up. It's absolutely hilarious. Um, but this game had so many different versions of it. There were at least three that I know of. There was the one that was, I think, just the the main screen where you're just going up the scaffolding of a building, uh, Donkey Kong and your girl are at the top. Then there's the second screen, which was the blue scaffolding with, for some reason, chickens, I think they were, that were after you. Like the first level is barrels and then there are chickens for some reason, these giant chickens. And again, everything's out of proportion, but uh, then you got to get all the pegs out. So the first one, you're just trying to get to the top. The second one, you got to knock like eight pegs out of the floor and then the scaffolding crumbles and magically you didn't die and you can go and get your girl and Donkey Kong falls down and hits his head. 
the other version of the game, every third or I think every, it was like every third or fourth pass between those two screens, you would get an extra screen that was called the elevator screen. And here you've got a bunch of elevators that are going up and down. You've got bad guys that are riding the elevators. You got to get around them. And on top of that, for some reason, you have a bouncing hammer that just tries to kill you. It just bounces across the screen and drops down every once in a while. Really weird. Um, But the fact that you just have a hammer hanging there, there's broken ladders. And like I don't know who's making this building, but I think they're not going to be the ones to finish it. So you would have the elevator one, which was difficult. If you knew the right places to go and the right timing of it, you could do fine. But getting to that point where you would have, you know, enough guys to get there and then enough guys to experiment on that took took a little bit of practice. Then there was a version called Crazy Kong that the only time I ever played it was a tabletop machine. So you could actually sit down and play video games on a tabletop surface. And a lot of places where you had to wait for food and stuff would have these, like our, our pizza place right around the corner from our home had, this is where we played Crazy Kong. So that had a pie factory. And that was a whole nother level with a conveyor belt. It was really super challenging, but it was another one of those, like you had to go through a bunch of screens to even get to it. So the whole point was you probably only had the guy that you were playing or maybe one backup guy. And so you didn't really have a lot of opportunity to practice the the pie factory or mud factory or whatever it was. How that related to Donkey Kongs and buildings and chickens, I I don't know. But the uh, the character of Mario obviously spun off into a whole series of things. Uh, Mario Brothers, Mario World, Mario Karts, Mario, you know, everything. And again, then the whole new line of toys and all that came out following Mario Brothers because that became such a huge thing. And even though we had kind of gotten away from uh, arcades by that point, because home systems really killed the arcade market. You know, why should I go to the arcade and play uh, 25 cents for every three guys or whatever when I can just sit home and hit reset? You know, yeah, the games weren't as cool at home, but it was a lot more cost effective. And you didn't have to go outside and fight for your spot to play the game. You didn't have to wait while other people were playing. You know, so many, so many things to it. So Donkey Kong was a, a major hit and it's still, you know, to this day, it's funny that p- the particular songs that they picked for these album, this album, because they really picked a lot of the ones that really were some of the most classic games from that time, even though we didn't know at the time that they were going to be the most classic games. I mean, there's some that they didn't do, like Cubert wasn't out in 1981, so that was one that wouldn't have made it. Tron, I could see them doing a song for it, but Tron Deadly Discs was a really cool game. That was a stand-up cabinet. And um, yeah, that was one of my favorites to play. But I actually liked the Intellivision version much better. I, I found that to be more fun. And um, you know, that was one of those games that got to the point where I could just play for two hours and just be like, all right, I'm done and kind of walk away. So here is a little bit of Do the Donkey Kong.
One thing I never understood about this game is why Mario's shoes are so squeaky. All that quick, quick, quick. That's hid when you walk. That's the sound that it makes. And, you know, I get that they wanted to have a walking sound that was kind of cute and not just, you know, tap, tap or clump, clump. But like, why are they so squeaky? That sounds dangerous on a scaffolding. But the other thing that I actually just noticed, I probably noticed it before, but it just kind of hit me again right now. Why is the opening like a funeral dirge? Da, 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 da. Why? That's just weird. I, I don't know why they did that. But in any case, uh, Donkey Kong went on to be a smash success for Nintendo. Uh, if you've never played any of the Donkey Kong Country series, um, I loved Donkey Kong Country 2 and 3. One was okay. Um, I didn't like it as much. I like the atmosphere, the music, the soundtrack to those games is, is fantastic. Um, I just, I don't know, I didn't like the movement or something of it so much. I actually started by playing Donkey Kong Country 2, and I kind of liked the uh, the the two characters that were in that game. And you had Dixie in, in 2, and you had Donkey in 1. And I, I think I just like playing Dixie better. She she kind of had more ability to do things. And I didn't like Donkey's movement as much. But in any case, great games. Then they went on to come out with um, one that like comes with uh, you have to get bongos or something for it. And then uh, I think another one after that, like uh, Donkey Kong Country Returns or something, because I haven't played those last two. But the first three were, were great games. Um, all three of them. I just like the second and third ones better. But in any case. Huge, huge, huge thing for Nintendo. And uh, they just went on to, to go for as many things as they can. Donkey Kong also had a cereal. The uh, the crunchy bits were little barrels that were, um, you know, kind of hard on your, your tongue, actually. They were like, if they would have made them out of like honey, like the stuff they made honeycomb with, but they were kind of like that, but way sweeter. And they just had, it was like the... Um, Okay, the Captain Crunch that's not peanut butter, the one that's just like those little golden pillow looking things. It was like that. It was really hard on your tongue and the roof of your mouth, but you you couldn't stop eating it anyway because it was super sweet and kind of delicious. But then for the next three days, you were like, I can't eat anything. Can I have ice cream, please? But uh, yeah, Donkey Kong was a great game. the, The thing that started it all. I know it went through um, like it, there was a difference between the Japanese version and the American version because there was something about it that didn't translate right or something. And so they had to, to modify the American version a little bit. But man, that game just just took off. You could have 10 Donkey Kong machines in an arcade and, and you probably would have made a good amount of your money right there. There was a grocery store that opened up not too far from us, uh, not within walking distance, but but, you know, maybe a 10 minute drive. And they actually got in a Donkey Kong and a centipede machine. So while mom was off shopping, I was sitting there playing video games, you know, and that was a blast. I I would bring, you know, handful of quarters and play as long as I could and then just wait there wishing I could still play. But uh, lots of fun, all of these games. And so I think what I'm going to do because of the length of the episode I think I'm going to go ahead and chop this into two episodes. I've got uh, an interesting interview coming to you next week and then a very special episode. My buddy Greg German is releasing his first album ever. And he has been, I interviewed him back in the beginning of the show and he's such a great guy. And he is a drummer that is, uh, he does the touring shows. So he's on like Wicked and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And he just goes around the country or, you know, the continent, I guess, performing these shows. 
and a lot of fun. Actually, he's, he's actually traveled around the world doing these. I don't know why I keep thinking he only did the country. I think Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is just in, in the States. But great guy, fantastic drummer, but he really loves jazz. And he just came out with his first jazz album. It's coming out on the day of the release of the, uh, the show, which is going to be a special show coming to you next Sunday. So stay tuned for that. And uh, stay tuned next week for an interview show that I think is going to be a lot of fun. I'm actually doing the interview tomorrow as I'm talking in real time. And in the meantime, you guys have a great week. Take care of each other. Take care of yourselves. Do something good for yourself. Do something good for someone else. You know, it takes so little to put a smile on somebody's face. Just take 10 seconds, send somebody a note, say, hey, I was thinking of you. You popped into my head. It made me smile. I want to make you smile. Have a great day. I care about you. Just something. You know, how hard is that? You guys take care. We'll see you next week. Cheers. (laughs) 